the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Assurance. When you die, do you have assurance that heaven will be your home? Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and listen in as we learn from the Bible how to have assurance. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 8, and our text will be found in 29 and 30. Let me give you just a real brief background in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a very common passage of Scripture. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. We know that all things work together for good, the Bible says, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I won't take time to uh, delve deeply into that, but let me just remind us to say that Romans 8.28 is in many ways focusing on the present life that we have and the assurance that we have from God that he is in control of all things and all things will work together for good in this life. And if they don't work together for good in this life, because some things don't as we see them with human eyes, we understand that things are working together for good in God's plan and in heaven. And at the very worst case scenario, worst case scenario is we will one day be with the Lord. And that is good, and that is really, really good. And then Paul goes into verse number 29, where the scripture says, For whom he did foreknow, Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, those are some really powerful statements. Truth be told, anyone can make a powerful statement, a a strong declarative statement. We often hear uh, statements like that, like, buy this car, and if you buy this car, and it has a massaging seat for the driver and the passenger, your life will be great if you buy my car with a massaging seat, we think, oh man, that's, that's, that's great. And we hear the radio ads or we watch the, the TV ads or we hear the podcast ads like, man, this seat will be amazing. Or go to our college. Our theme is the way forward or making tomorrow's leaders today. And if you come to our college, I promise you, they promise you that you will be a, a leader tomorrow if you attend their English 101 class today. It's a guarantee. You are are guaranteed that. This is most obviously seen in the area of supplements and vitamins. Think about that for a second, like turn on the TV, YouTube, whatever. If you take our super green, mixed up, nasty, tastes like grass drink, you'll never be sick as long as you live. It's not like the other nasty tasting green drinks that promise you the same thing. Ours is different because we have better things in our drink than they have in their drink. See? And so then they move forward. 
just promises. I mean, they promise. So you, because you don't want to miss out and you live with that insatiable human condition of FOMO, you go and you buy the car with the massaging driver's seat as you take your kid to college. So they'll be the leader tomorrow that they should have been today. And it's to to top it all off, you're drinking the green supplement drink while taking B12 vitamins and you're sleeping in fish oil and you realize something. You're not super happy. Just not super thrilled with life. There's still things going on. Promises are easy to make. The question is, will they come true? Well, anyone can promise you something to buy. It's not uncommon for little kids in our church to ask me for something or to do something for them. And in a just kind of a jokingly uncle or grandfather way, I'll, I'll say, what, have you gonna, what are you going to give me? You want this? I want something from you. What are you going to give me? And they'll search around in their pockets for something. And they'll hand me like a used piece of paper and say, I drew this picture for you. I'm like, what is it? It's you. It's me in a skirt? What? Promises are just easy to make. Well, how do you know? Here's the question. How do you know who to trust? How do you know who to trust? Is it the advertising agency for the car with the massaging chair? And by the way, I don't have one, but if, if I ever get one, I'll let you know how it goes. But you, you know who to trust based on the character of the individual. Based on the character of the individual. Let me illustrate this way. If, if Bernie Lund, our music pastor, says, Pastor, I'm going to cook you a five-course meal and it's going to be amazing. I'm telling you right now, I don't trust him. You say, why? Because I've tasted his cooking and there's no such thing as a five course meal that I would enjoy uh, that comes from Bernie Lund. Some of the rest of you in here, that'd be awesome from Bernie. Probably not that awesome. Why? Because of the character, not the character, but the mm, talents of the person involved. I guess it would be character because he'd be lying because he said it tastes good. When we think of salvation, we can have, and I've titled the message this, confident assurance in our salvation because God is the keeper of our salvation. We can have confident assurance in our salvation because God is the keeper of our salvation. We've been looking in Romans chapter 8, like a nine-part series on assurance. We've been longer in Romans 8 than we have any other chapter other than chapter 1 because it deals with the reality that once you are saved, you're saved forever and you can have confidence in that. But our confidence is not in a pipe dream. Our confidence is not an idea. Our confidence is not in a hope uh, that, that things will work out well. Our confidence is based on the character of God who is the keeper of our salvation. So we see firstly this morning in verse number 29 that everyone in heaven accepts Christ as Savior. I know that sounds obvious, but let's work this out together. Everyone in heaven accepts Christ as Savior, whom he did foreknow. It's a Greek word, proenosko, not that anyone cares, but that's what it is. And I don't want to get in the weeds in this, in this word, but it has caused a lot of confusion for many good people. 
And though I know I'm not going to give the final word on theological topics that have been debated for centuries, I am committed to preaching the Bible verse by verse. And I believe this passage has some wonderful certainties for the believer. I made a commitment to Canyon Ridge 20 years ago that when we went through a text, we wouldn't avoid the more challenging text or even the more debated text, but we would work our way through them so that we would understand what God intends or what God has for us. Because even the texts that seem confusing, God has truth in there for us, and they should not be passed over. They should be studied. Much debate centers on the meaning of this word, proinosco, for whom he did foreknow. Those three words make up that word. Many fail to recognize the available options for consideration. For example, one author lists two options that are pretty normative or normal for folks. Option number one, he said, God foresaw this word for whom he did foreknow, proinosco, that God foresaw our self-determined faith We remain the decisive cause of our salvation and God responds to our decision to believe. That's a theological bent called or position called Arminianism, that we are the ones who determine whether or not we will have faith and we determine when we're going to be saved and and we just at the drop of a hat, well, I suddenly accept Christ as Savior, good, pray this prayer, you're good to go. That's option number one, says some people. Option number two is, say, this author, God chose us, this word for no, not on the basis of foreseen faith, but on the basis of nothing in us. He called us, and the call itself creates faith uh, for which it calls. That is the theological position called Calvinism. God chose us even when we hated him. We had no decision. We didn't even decide to love Jesus or to submit to Jesus or to repent and trust him. It was just forced upon us. That is... Calvinism in so many words. There's a third, and I believe a more accurate definition for this word that should be looked at, and I believe that it makes this verse come to light and to life in so many beautiful ways. Paul is reflecting in this passage on God's redemptive purpose being accomplished through those who love God in a former generation, primarily Old Testament saints. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses would be the representatives. That redemptive purpose included bringing the Messiah into this world through Israel that we will study in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. When God called Abraham, God knew that the Messiah would come through the line of Israel, through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of David, to the Christ child. And for those Israelites, they were set apart for this purpose. Romans chapter 9, verse number 21. They were set aside. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was God's predetermined or predestined plan for redemption. Jesus' death on the cross was not a surprise to God at all. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 8, that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God ever divided light from darkness, before God ever made a cloud, before there was ever a fish in the sea or a, or a, a kangaroo in Australia, God knew that Jesus Christ would die for the sin of mankind. He was the lamb slain before there was ever a world. God knew that Adam 
Adam would sin, God knew that Eve would sin, and they would need a Savior. And the Savior, they, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, were not up in heaven questioning what they were going to do. They knew implicitly that Jesus would die for the sin of mankind. One author describes this purpose, the word foreknowledge, as Paul, and I think this is the right direction, Paul not referring to some prior knowledge that God had in mind of creation, nor was Paul speaking of the predetermining their faith. He was referring to those whom God knew personally and intimately, men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and Moses. The term foreknow or foreknew does not here mean to have knowledge of something beforehand. It's a, it's a verb and it's a compound word. Know is a, the word know is a, in an intimate sense with a preposition in front of it, the prefix to it mean before. So I had an intimate knowledge of you at some time before, or we could say it this way, having an intimate relationship with someone in the past. If you like what you've heard so far, check out KenyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at KenyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. We might say it this way. You, you might be at work in your career field, whatever that may be, and, and somebody says, hey, do you know John Doe? He does the same thing you do. Oh, yeah, I've known him forever. He and I went to school together. Now, we wouldn't say for no because that's an old English word that we wouldn't use, but you get the concept. It's to have an intimate relationship with someone prior to. We could literally render Romans 8, 29 as follows. For those God formerly knew intimately, he previously determined for them to be conformed to the image of his son. So Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he did foreknow, for who he knew intimately before, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, what did God predestinate? Well, God predestinated the individual saints of old who, who God had a personal relationship with to complete their salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. Everyone who spends eternity in heaven must accept Jesus Christ by faith. They must accept Jesus Christ by faith. Now, you're like, obviously, pastor, we're a Christian church. We believe that. We're Orthodox. We're Baptists. We obviously believe all of those things. Right, but work with me for just a minute. In the Old Testament, they knew that the Messiah would come. John chapter 4, verse number 25. Uh, the woman said to Jesus, we know that Messiah does come. It's, it's going to come. We, we know he's coming. And, and Jesus obviously identified himself to her, but there was a knowledge that the Messiah would come. But salvation is not a concept or a knowledge. Salvation is in a physical person, the person of Jesus Christ. And after Christ's death on the cross, a couple of really important things happened. The blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt from the body of Jesus Christ was literally sprinkled or poured on the mercy seat that is in heaven. 
forever settling the sin debt of all who will put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Jesus died on the cross, his blood, you say, how was his blood captured? It's a mystery to us. I'm, I, I think we'll probably find out when we're in heaven. I don't know for sure. But his blood was captured and the sacrificial and was placed on the mercy seat that is in heaven. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament that could never pay our sin debt was immediately eliminated or abolished. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was an annual thing that reminded people that they were sinners. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was a permanent reality that delivered us from our sin and created in us the reality that we are new creatures in Christ. Hebrews chapter nine, verse number 12. The Bible says, neither by the, by the blood of bulls I'm sorry, by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, Jesus, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh, or these bulls, goats, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkle the unclean, they they had this temporary effect. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, Christ dies on the cross. He goes to heaven. His fellowship with the Father is immediately restored. You remember when he was on the cross, how between noon and three, it went dark. It was just black like midnight black. There was no light anywhere. God has turned his face at that moment from Jesus Christ. Jesus dies. When he dies on the cross, he immediately goes to heaven and the blood is poured out on the mercy seat that is in heaven, settling the requirement that God had for the sin of mankind. The Old Testament sacrificial system was at that very second, it was immediate, immediately eliminated or done away with in the eyes of God. It would take them a while to realize this, uh, not God, but the people a while to realize this, but it was immediately eliminated. Fellowship was restored between Jesus and God. And then something wonderful happened. Jesus preached to the Old Testament saints who were, here's a Bible term, in prison. Why? Because they had not yet conformed to his image. Verse number 29. They had not yet accepted Christ as their savior. You see that? It's right there. For whom he did for now, he had an intimate relationship. He also determined that they had to be conformed to the image of his son. They had not yet been. Well, why would that be? Because he's going to be the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus restores relationship with the father. The blood is poured on the mercy seat. The veil in the temple is written to. There's a massive earthquake. And Jesus goes and he preaches to the Old Testament saints who are in prison. Well, pastor, what do you mean the Old Testament saints in prison? Okay, in the Old Testament, people would believe in a coming Messiah that had not yet come. They were looking forward to the Messiah. 
Matter of fact, all the Old Testament sacrificial system was to draw their attention away from themselves and on the coming Messiah. You say, well, did they have to accept Christ by faith? Yes, we use the word hope, meaning they were looking forward to. We look back at the cross of Christ. They were looking forward to. Now, when a person in the Old Testament accepted the coming Messiah, the first coming of Christ, they were saved. When they died, they were placed in what we will call for the sake of simplicity, they were placed in the Old Testament heaven. Luke chapter 15 calls it paradise, an Old Testament heaven. And in that Old Testament heaven, they were waiting for the coming Messiah. Jesus comes to this earth, lives 33 and a half years, dies for the sin of mankind, pours his blood on the mercy seat and fellowship is restored. And then one of the first things it seems like from scripture that he does is he goes and he preaches to the captives in prison. Look at first Peter, it's on your screen. First Peter three, verse number 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. Now, let me stop right here. Some people believe, based on some Catholic creed and Catholic doctrine, that Jesus Christ, when he died, went to hell after he died on the cross and suffered for our sins. Brothers and sisters, that's just not right biblically. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus was on the cross, as as his time on the cross was winding down, if you will, that's my term, not the Bible term, as the time of the cross was coming to an end, he says, as he is on the cross, to teleestai, it is finished. Well, what is finished when Jesus is on the cross? Well, some people say, well, the sacrifice for sin. Well, there's some problems with that. Number one, he had not yet died. And number two, he had not risen from the grave. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is very, very clear. If there be no resurrection, Paul says, then we are all men most miserable. We are without hope, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we clap and celebrate and say amen when we sing songs about the resurrection, because that's what settled our sin debt. Apart from the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is so clear. There is no salvation. Jesus died in vain and we are all men most miserable. So when Jesus is on the cross, he says to teleestai, it is finished. What is finished? The suffering of Christ. If Christ had to suffer more for the sin of mankind and go to hell for that, then brothers and sisters, how was fellowship restored? How was the veil of the temple written to? How was there any form of celebration at all on planet earth if Jesus had to suffer and die. Secondly, if Christ had to suffer and die, why? Why? Was his blood not effective enough? Did the apostles all get it wrong? This is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Talking about his death and the blood that was spilt and the blood that was poured on the mercy seat. Oh, absolutely not. So sometimes people, and then the scripture says, 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered, hath once suffered 
for our sins. Not twice, not multiple times, but one time. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The Old Testament saints had to accept Christ as Savior. So they're in prison. Jesus dies, goes to heaven restores fellowship with the Father, and at some point, we don't know exactly when, in that 72-hour period between his death and resurrection, he goes to the center of the earth where the Old Testament heaven was separated from the Old Testament hell, and he preaches to the captives in prison, and he shares with them that he is the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. Not that a Messiah is coming, but that a Messiah has come and that he is him. And those Old Testament saints in prison in the Old Testament heaven, I don't like the word prison because it has negative connotations. The Old Testament prison just meant they weren't with the Messiah yet. They weren't with God. It was a wonderful paradise for them. It was like Hawaii, but better. It was awesome, but it wasn't anything near what heaven will be. Not simply because Jesus is in heaven, but because what Jesus has prepared is going to be amazing and wonderful. Far more than, than, than our thoughts could even imagine, the Bible says. And so Jesus preaches to those Old Testament saints. Those Old Testament saints accept Christ as their Savior. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Before we go... If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian and how to go to heaven after you die, we invite you to visit our website, CanyonRidgeRadio.com, for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m., at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, our pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at canyonridgeradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.